Welcome to the Stroud Skin Institute podcast, and I'm your host, Cheryl Stroud. Jacqueline Longo is a beauty industry leader with over 20 years of health and beauty experience. She has trained in Europe and Los Angeles with celebrity makeup artists and has worked with some of the top resorts and day spas in New England. As well, she has worked with Miss Teen USA pageant contestants. She has appeared on the industry as a guest beauty expert, has been a guest speaker for the Dress for Success organization, and was featured in Pulse twice within two years. Jacqueline has written Successful Selling in the Beauty Industry, and we are going to talk to her today about just that. So let's get started picking Jacqueline's brain on how to sell successfully. Uh, Jacqueline, your entry into the aesthetics field started at a very young age. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. I received my first facial when I was 11 years old and my family had been in the industry. My aunt was the director of a clinic at the time at a school. And that is when I experienced my first spa world <laughs> uh, facial and waxing and all of the, the things that come along with facials. And I remember sitting up and I remember that moment and thinking, I like this environment. I think I could do this for a living. And that was when I was a child uh, and I continued to have an interest in beauty and shadowed my aunt a bit and realized that this was definitely something I wanted to pursue. Uh, and to be honest, my family did not support that. They wanted me to go to college. So I did a combination of both uh, and certainly have never regretted getting my aesthetics license to go on that path of uh, the beauty industry, but more integrating my sales abilities and my social skills to uh, integrate it all together to be where I am now. So I, I feel lucky <laughs> that I was able to choose that at a young age because now I have a daughter that's a teenager, you know, starting to think about college and her friends and they don't even have an idea of what they want to do. So I feel really blessed that way back then I, I sort, sort of did. Yeah. You know, a lot of parents feel that way about uh, certificate programs or trade disciplines. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of estheticians out there listening to this, understanding that's what they are faced against as well of something that they're passionate about. So what kind of advice do you have in terms of, because you said you just, you also did college. So what's your advice with making that choice to estheticians who have, are facing that? So because I've worked with students and I am, have watched those students progress into somewhat other careers or taken their license and spun off, uh, you know, successful businesses from that, uh, that were creative is you will always have that license and having a trade is always a wonderful thing, uh, no matter what sort of economy status we're at. And I will, and I have never regretted it and I will never regret that. Uh, and I believe in trade uh, because you could even get your aesthetics license in a short period of time and put yourself through college uh, and be working and making more money than potentially um, being a, you know, working in restaurant industry or hospitality industry, because it, it, it would build an economic independence for you as you continue to decide what you want to do in your life. So it's, it's never, 
I think a regretting, you know, decision, uh, because it, it always will give you a financial security if you, if you want it to. You mentioned that you parlayed your college education with your aesthetic license into more of a sales driven um, side of the industry, but most estheticians don't like to sell. So mm-hmm. any recommendations on how and why they should be recommending products to their clients and selling services? Absolutely. I feel like there is a negative connotation to the word selling. Uh, And I agree with you. That's always a pain point that I hear from owners, managers, uh, leaders in the industry that uh, they, they see sales are stale or, you know, not getting the needle to move. And my advice and my opinion about selling is just somewhat changing the mindset that it is part of our job as an esthetician or in the beauty industry to recommend product. We know people are buying it. Uh, It is our duty and, and part of the experience for the maintenance of their skin or even clean beauty for makeup uh, for our clients to really get the most out of what their investment has been in, whether they're doing a facial or advanced services um, that they're taking home and using the products and maintaining that result in optimal skin health, whether it is skincare, makeup and whatnot. So it, it is more about finding your language, finding what you feel comfortable with expressing about the product that you are recommending, believing in it, of course, uh, and knowing that it's not about getting that score or that sale, but it's more about the result that they are getting is so much more rewarding. And that's how you build loyal clients. It is how you, you know, get those, that retention up and, uh, people are more likely, your client is more likely to come back to you if they are purchasing product from you and, you know, attached to you for treatment and then also product, uh, and we know we're, we're all consumers. We're buying products somewhere, especially within the beauty industry and that segment of hair, skin, nails, body, all of it. So you've had a long career, um, over 20 years in selling, and you've also done a lot of research to write your book, Successful Selling in the Beauty Industry. What excuses do you see most in the field for selling? So when I go to teach a class or speak to estheticians or even, you know, the next generation of esthetician or beauty industry, um, whatever it might be, it's even sometimes massage therapists, cosmetologists, that they're afraid. Um, And ultimately, I think the what they're afraid of is the word no, or that it is rejection. And, you know, again, changing mindset that they are not rejecting you, that client is not rejecting you as a person, they might be saying no to a product and no can mean not right now. There's a lot of ways around not being afraid of that. But if we don't ask, we will never receive. And so as we are asking for a sale or, you know, suggesting, recommending, consulting, educating a client on what is best for their skin. If you use the five to one ratio, if you're recommending it five times, one client is going to hear you and start to listen and and see the benefit in what you are recommending. And it also spins to 
your confidence level of how you deliver it, your passion for it, and obviously understanding that what you are recommending is ethical and going to really help their skin. I agree with you. I have a podcast called Yes, No, Maybe So that talks just Mm. about um, accepting no as something like music to our ears. I think that's struggle for a lot of young entering estheticians is they spend a lot of time on social media and not a lot of time in face-to-face interactions that hearing no and also asking for the sale is a struggle. Do you have any tips on how to ask for that sale? So it really kind of happens organically if you allow it to. And this is another suggestion that I have. And I talk about this a little bit more in the book is being as present as possible to look for the cues. So, you know, selling a a product or upgrading a service, whatever we are selling, it's really all the same process. We are getting tidbits of buy-in, whether it's body language of shaking their head or a, mm-hmm, oh, okay, yeah. You're starting to slowly gain their trust, momentum, developing that rapport, and the really paying attention to the client because they will tell you when they're ready. And then that is when you ask for that sale. So it's about being present. It is about looking at this, the cues and then asking for that sale because most of the time, and this is, there's a lot of statistics and you read all the books from biology to the marketing superstar, all of that is 75% of sales don't happen because the client wasn't even asked to purchase. That's, that's pretty high percentage. Um, And it's, it spins back to the reason they were not asked is they feared the word no, the person selling. And then in your book, you have a little tip on review and repeat, reviewing information three to five times. Why do you recommend that? I think it takes that much time for someone to hear and for it to click. Uh, And as a teacher, as you know, you know, everyone learns and absorbs information differently. So not only verbally repeating it, but if there's a visual attached to it, they're going to connect to the experience more and, you know, understand how they use it at home. If you are smelling it, if you are, you know, kind of pleasing all of the senses, you are building a, you're building a story that has that result that they now can see. And if you can build that picture or visual of their skin being optimal health or having these products in their bathroom, as you are tapping into not just speaking it a few times, showing it, speaking it and showing it at the same time, that then it's all going to click and become a full circle of understanding why they need to buy that or why they need to upgrade to this, whatever it might be. That's interesting that you mentioned that the five senses, because I'm just uh, finished reading a book on a aesthetic selling, but it had nothing to do with the aesthetics industry. It talked about hitting the five senses and how when you hit all five and it starts to tell a story, then it gets the customer in and helps them to envision using the product and being how they want to look, you know, their, Mm -hmm. their goals. So I thought that was really interesting that you mentioned the five senses because that's the first 
that I've heard of that technique used in sales for selling, you know, an item. Yes. And, and it's pretty easy to do that with, within the beauty industry, because we are all about textures and smells and the way something looks, um, you know, even product visualizing it in your bathroom, there's, there really is such a beautiful picture um, that can be painted um, visually and then even obviously smelling, which um, we should take advantage of that if possible. Right. And the clients already experienced that in the service itself, because we mm-hmm. are trained to do that as part of the service, right? Like our, the sights, sounds, smells, taste in our spa. But we, if we just take that and bring it into our selling technique, that that would really solidify a yes. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that is why taking your time with it and not rushing through the experience. The the treatment room is a great place for you to plant seeds of why and building that. And then knowing that it, because if you don't talk throughout the service and I'm not saying chit chatting all the time, you know, appropriate communication is good, but then you're able to, at the end of the treatment or when they're checking out or with your front desk closer, whatever it is, all of that ties together because you talked about it in bites throughout the service. Yeah. I've always said, and love to hear your thoughts on this as well, is that really the sale, the sale happens during the skin consultation and the skin analysis. Mm -hmm. That's where we find out all the information about what the client has in their beauty cabinet and what we can fill in into that regimen or routine or to discuss their priority of their skincare needs so that we can talk to them about that when we close the sale. No, I I certainly agree with you. And I think that there's two pieces to that. When I am in a treatment room and doing that, I like to look at them in the eye. I don't like being down on them um, with their loop over their face. I like to look at their skin, ask the right questions, or then even turn my my stool around, sit them up a little bit and have some eye to eye contact that could take two minutes, but that is going to continue the connection the the trust and build that rapport. Uh, sometimes utilizing a mirror to show, have them show you, this is what I feel is my concern. This is where my pain points are because as you continue to develop that, the, the discovery of, of what, they want to improve. That's then where you can present the solutions, which is treatment or product at the end of the the treatment or right then and there to say, Hey, I think we should do this treatment instead. And these are the products I'm going to recommend for you to take home. So we're going to give you this full experience of product ratio and um, service. Exactly. Because in that way, like you said earlier, the client is then set up for the expectation of the sale at the end of the service, instead of sort of like a cold turkey approach where they're a little shocked when you go, hey, I want you to buy these and take these home. Absolutely. And I have not been in the treatment room in a very, very long time. However, I do do business to business sales. So if I do not do proper discovery to understand the business needs and really where I would be 
beneficial to improve their business and grow it and get that needle to move, then I'm not going to be able to successfully close the sale because I didn't take enough time to discover what their needs are and listen to them. That's why we have two ears and one mouth. Yeah, <laughs> I write that in my book too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like the way that you phrase that discovery, you know, like the consultation and analysis is a discovery period and not something that we just rush through. And in, in reality, we all know that when you get into a spa, sometimes the front desk takes that consultation for you, you know, pre do mm-hmm. it and you're um, quickly doing it in between clients. But the thing is, is like you said, we'd have to, that's where the sale begins and, and pretty much the heavy lifting is so that at the Mm -hmm. very end, it's pretty much a no brainer that the client is going to be convinced through the discovery and then the service that they need these items to improve the conditions that they're, they're looking to work on. Exactly. Yeah. In terms of retail killers, what have you seen out there in the field that you wish people would stop doing? So there's, there's a few things and I I still think it has mostly to do with fear uh, or over talking uh, that can sometimes uh, really hurt the sale uh, and close, assuming closing the client's wallet for them. Uh, because they, the esthetician or the person selling, you know, doesn't feel comfortable asking. Um, but I think it all kind of just spins to fear, as we talked about earlier, because we are not asking. And I, I also think that if you're not able to have that open conversation uh, and be able to pivot and be nimble to asking more to discover what their needs are, then that is what's going to kill the sale. Not paying attention. So can I circle back to you uh, when you said over talking, can you just dive into that a little bit deeper and what you meant by that? Sure. I, I feel like sometimes the client has already somewhat committed, whether it is through body language or even verbally. And then the the person selling keeps talking. You have to know when to stop and then proceed with checking them out or booking that appointment or know that you just got commitment from them. So then move on to a next subject or let them enjoy the rest of the experience or whatever it might be, because then um, you can almost talk yourself out of a sale. And, and that is, also an art to pay attention to. And it is, again, all about being mindful and present within the experience because they will, they will tell you when they're done and ready. I agree with you um, on what you said too about shopping in somebody else's pocketbook. Could you dive in a little deeper on that one of what they do to worry about the wallet of the client and what they should do to get over that? Absolutely. There is an assumption that something might be too expensive and it is all about perception because we all have something we have a vice or spend money on. Uh, For women, that is, you know, a percentage of the beauty industry, the, as a consumer, we tend to spend um, and budget for makeup, skincare, hair care, our hair services, our facials. And that might be 
where most of their kind of entertainment or self-care budget goes. Uh, and that's really where we are, have a great benefit being in the beauty industry, that it's, it's a big part of many of the consumers' lives out there. So who are we to close the wallet for them? Because they could be planning, even if something is expensive in our eyes, there's so much more value to it than just monetarily to that client. It's sometimes when you look good, you feel good. So when spending money on you know, making your skin feel good, or maybe it's injections, maybe it's peels, maybe it's waxing, uh, but that is so much more valuable than just, you know, buying something and, and the benefits behind it all. So I feel like some will spend money on purses and shoes or other experiences, but there's a large group of consumers out there that beauty is top of their priority to where they spend their money to make themselves feel good. Right. And help and, them get there. And Jacqueline, how many times when you did work behind the chair, how many times have you heard clients tell you their life story and I'll buy anything? I, I had a client who told me I'll buy all of it. My husband got me angry and I'm going to spend his money. You know? Yeah, that so. or like that is what their vice is. It's like, <laughs> oh, I feel better when I get a facial. Oh, I need to go get my brows done. Oh, I need to go get my nails done. Right. It actually can physically and emotionally make you feel better. And it is tied to self-confidence and self-care and self-love that we owe this to ourselves, no matter where the kind of money comes from. Um, but then some choose not to spend money on those other things that I mentioned, because beauty is, again, within their priority of budget. And with that being said, what are some of the retail builders, if we're playing off of those types of needs in our clientele? I would say going back to still painting the picture and system selling, combining the two or three products together. Um, there are statistics that show people buy in threes for whatever reason. Um, there's theories behind that. I, I really think it has more to do with uh, it's, it's a reasonable expense. It's not um, going to, you know, burn a hole through the, the wallet. Um, and when you buy in threes, it, you think about how we use them. So as systems, shampoo, conditioner, and maybe a hair serum, cleanser, toner, moisturizer, primer, foundation, powder, like there is almost looking at as systems and then helping the client visualize this is something you do at home. This is a daily experience or this is a part of what you're just going to put into your routine. So it's, it's sort of about selling the picture of it and teaching them how they can integrate it into their lives to make it part of their life, uh, I think is, is a great way to kind of build the sale. Uh, and that taps back into senses and, and talking about it, saying it, doing it at the same time. And also showing the client that it is a very realistic thing to do. So whether it's blowing out their hair to doing their eyebrows to a quick makeup, no makeup, makeup look, uh, or, you know, your skincare routine that in, in incorporates a mask once a week, whatever it might be, that it actually 
you get the buy-in from the client that it is something they realistically will do and can do at home. I love the tip of selling in the threes and the system. That's the first time I've heard of that technique. So that actually helped me understand a little bit better how to present things to people as well. I'm so glad to hear that. Good. In your book, you have a whole chapter dedicated to closing the sale. And if you don't mind, I'd like to, maybe you have eight types of closes. If we can go through the eight types. So people, because I think this is where estheticians find the hardest a part of the sales process is that ending, that close, that ask. What is an assumptive close? So an assumptive close is one I think I use the most uh, because it's what I'm most comfortable with. It's almost like if you think it, it will happen. So assuming from the start that they are buying, assuming that they are, you're almost talking as if these products already belong to this client. You are already talking about this service already your skin is going to love this, getting excited for them specifically, um, but just assuming they are taking it, they are doing it, and then they start to agree (laughs) and buy into that. So I think that that has um, really great value to it if if you um, have the ability to have that confidence in yourself that, or whatever you are selling, that um, they're going to buy or do it. So did you always have self-assuredness as yourself or how did you build up the ability to, to get to that assumptive close? I would say that definitely comes with experience and, and I guess process of elimination. You know, what works, what doesn't, what languaging works, what uh, demeanor and lightness or uh, seriousness works. Like everyone is different. So you have to work through that to figure out what feels good to you, what doesn't feel pushy to you, because we never want to feel as if we are being pushy. So it it really is more about playing around with different ways to approach it and seeing the result of it working and then sort of perfecting it from there. Sounds like your tips about really listening to the client being present really helps in the sales process for making yourself more confident and comfortable when you get to that closing portion. Absolutely. And to skip through some of the other closes or types of closes, the one that I use the least is the limited time, Um, Mm -hmm. mostly because that feels pushy to me because there's a deadline and it feels like there's pressure, you know, this deal is only good for today or till until tomorrow, whatever. So I, I don't like that one as much, but again, that's just based on my personality. Some like to just rush through it, get the, get the go and then be done. Uh, And I'm just a little bit slower and softer, maybe gentler with the clothes. Well, I think to the limited time offer close is in that respect of how you just described it can be uncomfortable. But then if there's say a product that's going to being discontinued or where a client really loves it, then that limited time offer has a different feel, right? So I think what you're saying is, you know, use that limited time offer judiciously, right? Mm -hmm. That don't just pull it out of the hat every single time because it gets old. 
Absolutely. And closing the sale and understanding personality types somewhat go hand in hand. Because if there is any common denominator in a good salesperson or trait, it would be to be nimble, to be able to pivot and be flexible. Um, because of all of the reason that, that we've discussed already is having the, uh, having the ability to adapt to someone's um, pace and flow and conversation, communication. And so there are identifying those personality types will help you close that person in that comfort level. So a more minimalistic client who is a lot more simple in their routine at home may not have a lot of time, you know, identify those um, working moms or moms that have multiple children and they only have a minute to get ready and they need products that are dual purpose. Uh, so that client is not going to use three different serums and have a, a drawn out routine. Mm-hmm. That client needs it quick and results driven and to be able to, you know, execute it very quickly. And so if you overwhelm that minimalistic client with too many products, too much time, they will probably put up a wall and not purchase anything. So baby steps with that type of clothes is very important. What I'm hearing from you is whatever advice you get from this podcast, your book, or someone else's um, advice is that the reality is, is that you should be using that information as a loose guide so that you have it as part of a toolbox that you can pull out when you meet those personalities. Absolutely. And this is something that I hope for those that do sell and they are part of the beauty industry and that's part of our job is they enjoy it, that it's not something that's painful and, oh no, I have to go sell now or uh, that, you know, that it's uncomfortable, that it's something that you start to enjoy knowing what benefits there are and really believing in it sort of they talk about the you know drinking the Kool-Aid that you are using it and 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 living that life and then you know sharing it with others and that you're excited about it so I that's what I hope comes out of this the most is you know looking at the positive and finding the positive and in actually having the opportunity to sell and share with people and improve lives and then being able to, not even in sales, but just in in life in general, understanding human beings, that some are more minimalistic, and then some are more educated, which is another personality type. And that is the client that you can, you know, talk on a deeper level with show off your knowledge of ingredients, and really connect with them on the getting into the weeds of, of why you use this first, and then that and then this and Um, they like that. So being able to identify that personality type and you, you could really enjoy having a more advanced conversation with that educated client. I've always said too, 
that um, if you speak to clients like you would your friends at a dinner party, when you mm-hmm. go to a dinner party and you just bought this really cute dress and you just go on and on about how great it was on um, the experience in the store, that it was inexpensive, that it's made of a certain fabric, that enthusiasm comes through and then your friends who are listening want to buy it too. That is maybe one tip that might help people just mm-hmm. to be more authentic is like you said, if you're living the lifestyle of beauty, you're drinking the Kool-Aid of the product that the product or products you're using, product brands that mm-hmm. you're using, then selling is easy and enjoyable. Absolutely. It doesn't become a job or work. It, it becomes um, a fun experience for both. And the the other personality type, there's really two. One is a product junkie, but they're so easy and fun to sell to. So that's someone who is into trends and what's new. And that person is, that client is, is um, open. Um, the other is a traditionalist. And that client is obviously investing in their skin, their beauty, um, but they've been using the same product for a very long time. So that's one to be a little bit more delicate with and to find maybe where the gaps are to slowly transition them into, you know, other creative products that are added to their routine or services that they may not have been thinking of until now as you're bringing it up to them and adding that onto their service or their facial experience. So that's one that takes a little bit of time, just like all of them, um, that might be more of a layered sell, um, but that that client is a very loyal client and that is the that is the key client that you want that is going to um, have that loyalty and have a high uh, retention rate with you Um, so that client is worth taking the time with and investing in because then you have them for a very long time and there's great flow business behind it so what advice Um, Can you give millennials uh, to succeed in this industry? Within millennials, I would say they are certainly at that cost of being the next generation in this beauty industry. And one thing that I love about millennials is they care about the future of the world, the environment. Um, And I think that if we have that same attitude with our clients, with skin, that if they're connecting with a newer generation of clients, that they are planting the seeds at a young age to to see the residuals of that in the future, to see maybe better skin with less sun damage, to see, um, you know, to really invest in the the ethics behind beauty, um, because I think that that's something millennials feel very close to in their heart is the ethics. But I also see the struggle in millennials is um, having that work-life balance Um, in the beauty industry. I think it's really important in the beginning to not get discouraged um, by building your clients and that you really have to put in the work and pay your dues, just like all of us have that are, you know, more seasoned, that you need to do that to be successful. Um, It doesn't just, it's not just handed to you. It has to be earned and built over time. So don't give up, continue on, never stop learning. 
Um, and that is, I think, the key to success specifically in the beauty industry. And it takes about like six months to a year to really build a clientele that's returning. So yeah. it, 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 it's a little longevity game. It's like the tortoise and the hare. You have to be the tortoise in this industry to be patient, Absolutely. like you said. Absolutely. And the reward, reward is huge. I have so many wonderful, beautiful success stories of, um, you know, those estheticians not giving up. Um, and sometimes if you have that expectation and know that that is a realistic timeline or even more, more years, um, that, that, you know, it's worth it. And that to, if you really, really have passion for it, you will be successful with it. Bringing us back to the beginning of our conversation, when we talked about parents and family members and spouses that may not be supportive of this particular industry as a career choice, that that's when it's most important to surround yourself with people that do support you because, you know, there are times when you want to give up and if you stick mm -hmm. with it, you know, like you said, the rewards are great and there are a lot of success stories. Absolutely. And that's why I feel some of my dearest friends are in the industry and we lift each other up and, and, you know, we're all at positive highs at different points in our lives, in our careers. So it's a wonderful thing to have a, a beauty industry community for sure. And it's out there and they, the women that I know in this industry and men that I know in this industry are deeply supportive. You've also written an article about spa talk. It's basically, you know, how to get your staff or how um, estheticians should be talking about their services and products. You want to tell us more about that? Sure. I think it's been back to a question that was earlier uh, as we were just talking, which is we have two ears in one mouth. That's one thing. And you as the professional have the leadership in the stage or the ability to set the tone of the treatment, the experience, the conversation. You can, in, in a sense, control that. So speaking about beauty, trends, health, wellness, keeping it relevant to what we know as experts within this industry and taking out the, the personal talk too much or you know any topics that are very taboo or whatever it might be, there's still ways to bond with boundaries on a level with your client that then when they leave, because we only remember 10 to 20% of what people say, that they're going to remember the important pieces and little nuggets of information about beauty, skin, health, wellness or for, their, for their own personal use when the client is not with that esthetician or practitioner, that that is where there's most value and respect from your client. So learning to pivot the conversation, have a boundary within communication in that sense is really in the long run going to, again, create high retention, loyalty, trust within your client. And then you hold a, an authority, a respect of who you are and why someone comes to you. And it's because of your skill, your knowledge as a professional, and that you have literally changed their skin or their, their routines that have improved their 
their life and their, their confidence because you've helped them feel more beautiful inside and out. That's um, really great advice. Do you do event planning or how much do you think event planning should we be doing? And is it good for increasing sales? So now that we are, I guess, at post-pandemic, um, I'm starting to see more events than I always saw events prior to the pandemic that I, I do think that they are very valuable, not necessarily the day of or what you sell that day, but to create buzz, community, content. Like there's so many other reasons to do an event that isn't just that because of that day. It's, it's building rapport, it's connecting. So I have done a lot of events. I do like the flow of the non-pressure environment that people just naturally wanna buy in, this, in a sense, um, that also setting an expectation in some cases that they will be able to buy and maybe there will be some sort of incentive or added value to buy that day. Uh, or to freshen up their makeup bag or skincare routine or service package. So I see a lot of benefit in it. Um, I don't love dragged out long full day events. I like smaller, um, shorter events that everyone comes, they mingle for all the good reasons that, you know, feel good after, and then you're done. So one, it doesn't exhaust you um, or your team. And two, it is a quick stop and shop. It isn't a dragged out experience for even the guest. So they're more likely to want to come back to the next one that you host or even bring a group or bring some friends. And then what makes a good event other than keeping it short, like in terms of the back end, like what should a S-Edition do in the sales sense? Should they be recording results and what should they be recording? So I think that being able to use the content of videos from the event, the before and afters, the results of it, showing the added value of why you should come to this event, not just because there's, you know, free snacks and drinks or a goodie bag, like there's more value to it. And there could be, you know, something that the client learns and they, they gain something from it, but the why and whatever that is determining what that is, whether it is getting more exposure for people to come into your business or experience services that are not as popular to create awareness behind whatever that is, figuring out what that is, having one or two main goals instead of too many, because it's sort of like the menu at the Cheesecake Factory, like that overwhelms me (laughs) that you have, you know, simple goals and objectives for each event. You know what it is. The whole team knows what it is. Everybody's on the same page of keeping it simple. Um, and that's why I don't like it too long. Um, and I, you need to know what your why is. What would you, your preferred length of an event be? I would say two to three hours um, is, a, is a good amount of time. Uh, and you know, maybe being flexible within that. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes into prepping for that. And then a lot of work that I think is more important than any of that, even the actual event, the follow-up from it. So if you do not touch all those points, it's not even worth doing the event. So if you do the event, you, oh, it's over with now. 
but you don't have the proper follow-up to engage with the client, check back in with them if there was, you know, something they experienced, you know, book clients for a future, then it's not, in my opinion, worth doing. So if you're not committed to that full follow-through, then don't do it. And then is there any events that you've experienced that you think are, should be repeated by everybody that they were so successful every time that they've been done? Not necessarily anything specific that I can think of besides the vibe that I have felt in the most successful events was a welcoming vibe, a very non-pressure, welcoming, uh, open, just not stuffy, not pretentious, like something that groups of people can come to and feel comfortable in to be able to ask questions about things that they might not know about treatments. You know, a lot of times you kind of tour through the treatment rooms and they might see like a body sculpting, sculpting thing, but be afraid to ask about it. So like creating a space for the client to feel safe, to ask those questions and, you know, realize that there is curiosity. So how do you tap into that and listen to that? And it again, spins back to paying attention uh, and being present with the moment and, and the event itself. And then what about a solo, pre- solo practitioner that only has one room? Like, how would you recommend that they create that kind of same vibe in a one room situation? I think when you are a sole proprietor like that, that it's imperative to collaborate and cross promote with others whether it is hair or boutique or retail or nails or something, because being solo is lonely. And you, I really think that that is a key to success for a sole proprietor is having a community to recommend each other and um, work off referrals uh, and to be able to just have a support system that, because you are alone in your business. So that I think is a, a really great way to, if you're going to do an event, do it in a non-competitive um, kind of group situation. So more than one business kind of coming together. Jacqueline, you gave us so much information in this hour. Is there anything in selling that we missed that you would want to uh, share with our listeners? I would say don't give up on yourself, you know, always believe in yourself. And, you know, life is about showing up. So continue to show up, continue to do the work. And it will, if you believe that all of that will happen for you, that it will. And I I think that that the moment that it clicks with anything in life is such an aha moment. And you will have that if you keep at it within sales. Uh, and it's overcoming all of the things we talked about. The reward is there and it happens. I promise you that click happens where it's like, oh, I get it. I know what she means now. So I hope right. that for all of you. Right. And or it wasn't as hard as I thought it, you know, exactly. after I tried it, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So this is the part where I ask you, is there anything that you would like to plug um, courses, books, a podcast, 
Anything like that? Absolutely. I have a podcast. It's called Girl Talk and it's available on Spotify, YouTube, and Apple. Uh, It was uh, something that inspired me to do over the pandemic because uh, again, I think that it's really important to pay it forward and give back and support the industry and women. Uh, So please check that out. Uh, I have a lot of guest speakers on there that are mothers and women in the industry. And so they talk a lot about their expertise within beauty from more med spa to uh, makeup and modeling to microblading to so many other things. Um, So there's that. Uh, And I did write a book back in 2019 called Successful Selling in the Industry, inspired by all of the questions that I would get during my visits at spas as a sales consultant. And so please check that out. It's available on Amazon and barnesandnobles.com. Uh, and I do write a blog. My blog is on mybeautytomorrow.net website. Uh, and follow me on Instagram. I'm beauty tomorrow on Instagram. All right, because that's what I was going to ask you too. How do people get in touch with you if they wanted to use your services as a consultant or just, you know, ask a question? Absolutely. That's, that's how to connect. Um, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the support and the followers and I give it back as well. Uh, so we're all stronger together. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline. Um, I enjoyed this so much and the information is invaluable. I I believe. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity and, and time to collaborate the way we just did. Jacqueline couldn't have given us better information on how to up our selling game. Okay, so my top three takeaways were, one, follow the Nike slogan and just do it and ask. Two, find a way to get past our fears. And three, don't close the client's wallet. We didn't get to finish her list of eight closing techniques, and they were assumptive close, related close, instructional close, standing room only, owe it to yourself, service, pro and con, and summary close. You'll just have to buy her book, Successful Selling in the Beauty Industry, at either Amazon.com or BarnesandNobles.com, so you can learn how to master them yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and I'm looking forward to doing more with Jacqueline. I'm Cheryl Stroud, and you've been listening to the Stroud Skin Institute podcast. You can follow Stroud Skin Institute and Cheryl M. Stroud on Instagram, or visit us at stroudskinstitute.com on the web. If you haven't already, go to Apple Podcast and subscribe rate and review this podcast. Join me soon for another Stroud Skin Institute conversation. Thank you for listening.